attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own angled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Hello and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus and all is not well this week. Now, before I get too far into this week's misfortunes, I should say that I've got a long history of loving nonfiction comics. In point of fact, I love nonfiction comics so much that I spend every seventh episode talking about one of the DC Paradox Press line of big books. And I call these episodes The Big Big Book Report. Report. But this isn't something that I do all by myself. Nope. Joining me as usual is Two True Freaks co-host and former war criminal, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Former? (laughs) It's like being an alcoholic, man. You're never a former war criminal. (laughs) Well, I gotta tell you guys, I'm, number one, I'm just tired as all fuck tonight. That's how I got that going on. Number two... I'm still a little sick. I'm getting over this just fucking annoying bug that I had, uh, that I've been kind of wrestling with now for like a week or something like that. And meanwhile, as all of that's going on, Mr. Chris Honeywell, the co-host of Two True Freaks, is currently sacked out and uh, on a medical leave because what's going on over there, Chris? I did. I left work early today. I don't do things halfway, you know, when I'm, when I'm, up and at him, I'm tearing things up. But when I go down, I go down in a ball of flames. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I just the the last couple of days I've been. I'm sure there's some listeners out out there that are old like me that can that can comprehend what I'm talking about. But I just woke up with slept on my back wrong or something, and uh, basically fairly incapable of walking for the first you know hour or so that I'm awake at least till I get in the shower. So I've actually, um, I've got the next three days off. I took a half day. I left work early today and I'm just gonna, I, I, uh, unhooked my computer, my microphone, and I set it all up beside my bedside. So I'm, I'm literally, I'm laying flat on my back right now, (laughs) just sort of aiming my face up at my, at my microphone. Oh boy. But I'm going to get a lot of podcasting work done in the next three days. That's pretty much. And I've got a lot of comics to catch up on. Well, that'll so, be good. Yeah, so that hopefully hopefully, someday in those three days, something's going to snap back into shape. But Well, let's hope. But when it comes to podcasting, though, you got to admit, no time is downtime, really. So. No, yeah, as long as my mouth is working. Well, I can, if my mouth isn't working, I can always edit. <laughs> Yeah, and there is that too. Yeah, so uh, I did a lot of editing. That. Yeah, I had to have oral surgery. I want to say it was like we're closing in on a year ago now, and I ha- I finally had my wisdom teeth taken out, or as many as they as they could get out at this point. 
And um, number one, I think people are just real pussies about that. Guys, it doesn't hurt that bad. It's not that bad anymore. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was it was pretty terrible. But now the technology, it's I had I had three wisdom t- teeth taken out in the same day, you know, to where they had to sutures close the gums. And I played a concert where I had to sing. <laughs> we were actually doing a song called Mr. Wisdom Tooth when a little chip of tooth like came out of, <laughs> of my gum. <laughs> oh, geez. But, you know, but that was in the same. And my, I think my prescription afterwards was they gave me a jar of Tylenol, you know, which I didn't touch because it was a it was a painless procedure. It's morbid. <laughs> it's weird and it's not comfortable, but. It's not the horror show that it that it it used to be. Well, that was funny. I have a friend on my Facebook who's a dentist, and they were talking about how people always say I hate the dentist, and you know that's unfair. And and uh, so, and somebody said something like I like dentists, and but I hate actors who portray dentists. And I'm like, that's weird. And then the first thing I thought of was Little Shop of Horrors with Steve Martin as a dentist. And I'm like, oh, I got to watch that. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh, no wonder <laughs> people. Hey, this is making me cringe just in the thir- first 30 seconds. So, Well, uh, when I got my uh, when I had my or- they called it oral surgery, but fucking they took out my wisdom teeth. But yeah, the point is, I ended up doing a lot of editing for the next like week or so. And um Anyway, but I guess like the point is it's it's really I don't even know how the fuck we got started on this. I don't care. So anyway, but um, basically every seventh episode, Honeywell and I get together so as we can talk about one of the DC Paradox Press line of big books. And so, Chris, what is the big book this time? Oh, it's a good one this time. It's, it's right up big, our alley, isn't it? Yeah, it's the big book of weirdos, which I think was sort of their catch all book. For all the the profiles of people mm-hmm. that they that they didn't quite fit in the other ones quite right, or they didn't have space for, or whatever, or they thought maybe might be a little too general, I think they put it all in this one, which is a good, you know, it's a land of misfit toys place for them. So, which I thought was perfect. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of funny to think that um, I think William Randolph. We're not going to be talking about it, as far as I know, but William Randolph Hearst is one of the entries in here. And it's strange to think that I believe he shows up in one of the other big books. I think it was like the big book of hoaxes. I think he's in that. And it's strange to think that he's kind of got, I mean, I guess apparently there's just, there's that fucking much to say about the guy. He pops up in all of these different books and it's just, it it, kind of makes you think that this was not planned. This line of, of books that they're, that, that they published this, I, I think they had a general maybe like idea of what they wanted to do, mm-hmm. but there's no way that they went into this thing like incredibly well organized. They knew what all the books were going to be. I mean, this a lot of these big books have a little bit too much overlap with one another for me to ever believe that they knew in advance that they were going to publish both the big book of weirdos and the big book of um, hoaxes, for example, right? Right. So, um, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong, but it's just it just doesn't feel that way to me is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, and I, I, I don't know the history of it, but I know I got introduced to these through the magazine sized ones that came 
out, which were just generally, you know, uh, there were two of them. And I know one of them was called 100% True. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just basically the big books all scrambled up in a magazine form, you know, big black and white magazine size thing. And I, I got the impression that they did those for a few years. And the big books are basically, you know, their way of putting them out as trades, you know, there, there might, it's, it's hard. There's so many of them. It, it, there might be somewhere they actually printed the same story twice. You know, I, I, I think during this time period of, uh, or I don't want to say underground comics, but indie comics when it was sort of in a boom, but I think the people who bought this sort of stuff, weren't like, oh, I'm going to get all the big books. You know, they would be shopping for, a, you know, in the comic section and go like, oh, the big book of this. This is, this is a subject that I'm interested in, and they would get it. So I don't know if they were actually making these with the idea of, that somebody would be like, oh, I'm going to get all the big books, you know, as much as as something somebody would spy more in, in Walden books or something like that, you know, or in Barnes & Noble and yeah. pick it up. Well, and, and it's funny that you should say that because um, I heard about, I guess, the big book line whenever they were first soliciting the big book of urban legends, which was the first of the uh, of the big book volumes that was published. And so um, – and I remember even thinking, you know what? This actually sounds really interesting. I want to be able to pick this up at some point. But it's just – it was the nature of my economic situation at the time specifically that I was like 14 years old and I just didn't have the, the kind of money I, to throw around on something like that. But I came across the big book of urban legends much later, like four something years later in Barnes and Noble. And it was kind of what I thought it was, what it was going to be. Like it was pretty much what I was expecting in a lot of ways. And it was just so much thicker. There was so much more stuff than I was originally expecting. I was expecting like, this is going to be uh, like a decent, like 70, 80 page book, like hardbound book, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a thing, you know? And I remember flipping through it at the, uh, at Barnes and Noble and it, it was kind of, you know, same song, different verse. I didn't have the money for it at the time, but damned if I didn't want it. Uh, Cause I thought, you know what, this is, these are great comics. This is a good idea for, uh, and, and the thing about it that appealed to me then and now is number one, this is, it's kind of off the the superhero path, but it also opens up a a world of possibility to people who might enjoy comics, even if they don't necessarily like, you know, heat vision right. and, and capes and all that stuff. They can still enjoy comics. You just need to give them comics that they enjoy. That's all. So that's just the way that I've come to think of it. Well, that's totally. I mean, the the time period I was getting these, I was working, and and my job was this is it, it was hilarious my job was right down the hallway from a comic shop and um payday was wednesdays <laughs> for for some you know because of a dishwasher that used to not come into work years ago payday ended up becoming wednesday for some reason mm. so on new comic day i would hop out of work with you know with a with a you know wad of cash and and I would just walk across the hall to the comic shop, and that's where I would pick uh, where I picked these up, and 
during those years and the preceding years in college, you know, that's I, I got a lot of people to read, you know, would read comics around my house, but they would only read stuff that was like that, you know, or the cartoon history of the universe or something like that. And not, um, you know, a, a Batman trade paperback or, you know, just loose issues of a Star Wars comic laying around. They wouldn't even touch those, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. I was talking about a friend who he actually the first time he saw our crumb was at our apartment, you know, and saw a stack of our crumb comics I had and was just like, are these people racist or something? Or this is this comic is not right. <laughs> are they racist or sexist or something? I and was like, no, they're now just he collects them. Yeah. Yeah. Now he collects underground comics. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, it's like then I got to know you guys and I was just like, well, that doesn't match up. And then I was like, oh, it's humor. <laughs> well, and I think it, I feel my my view of R. Crumb, and if I'm wrong on this, that's fine. But my view of R. Crumb was always that he wanted to be entertaining, funny and offensive. And he was he basically wanted to have sort of. A presence in all three of those spheres, you know, where it's not offensive just for the sake of being offensive. It's offensive to entertain you and make you laugh. And it's not enough to entertain you and make you laugh. You got to be a little bit offended too. And these things had to kind of go together in equal measure. And one of the things that I kind of took from that is that humor, and I would say comedy in general, but humor, it can be, it doesn't have to be just, you know, it doesn't have to be just a joke. You know, with a punchline at the end, it can be um, whatever makes like you situation. laugh. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. It's people call uh, the likes of R. Crumb, I guess to some to some degree, um, uh, Harvey P. Carr, sort of visionaries in the industry. And I don't know. I mean, I almost I almost feel like it, it's almost like calling a street artist a genius because you're kind of on thin ice just from the start. But at the same time, you can't really argue that there's not some advancement in the medium being made that isn't necessarily, this is not to sound snooty, but isn't necessarily being made in say this month's new issue of Iron Man, you know? Right. Right. Well, you, I mean, traditionally that's not the place to do it. There were, I mean, when Marvel first came out that everything they did was revolutionary and, but it was all brand new then, you know, but as you know, as we've settled into Marvel and DC, it's that, you know, that's supposed to be the, the pop end of, of the the industry and which is basically i think always pretty much except for a short period of time in the 90s going to be the way it the only kind of the industry because you know even in the 90s when there was a big boom of indie comics it's only like a handful of people who like really made money and like sort of took a little dip into regular American culture and you know a lot of other people got exposure but you know they were making a lot of money and and then it was over <laughs> and now when you go to a comic shop there is there's there still might be an indie section but it's not a fully you know every month I mean I used to ha come into a we had a bookstore that had a comic section that was better than most comic shops in their indie section every month I would go in there and be like, you know, 
all right, what do I have to narrow this down to that I can afford, you know, and get those to where now it's like, <laughs> yeah, is there anything coming out right, right now? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, look, this guy just put the first thing out in, you know, two years and, you know, he'll come out with another issue two years from now. Yeah, yeah I'll ride with that. It's just and that actually sort of leads into, you know, I guess, my relationship with the comic book industry sort of at large right now where apart from say mark wade's daredevil and maybe like a handful of other titles i mean i don't even read the fucking walking dead anymore just because i'm so sick of the hype you know i mean guys it's a fucking tv show get over it and it's a comic book get over it you know and that's the way i feel about it on the one hand but it's just i remember the process of falling in love with that and everything so that part of me kind of relates you might to might want to catch up with the comic book <laughs> the last issue of the comic book was classic walking dead it, something horrible happened <laughs> well and i guess my my thing is i'm i'm, I'm kind of sick of robert kirkman's shtick i guess you know uh first off just well, actually, I'm not even a comment on goings on with the TV show. I well, the TV, the TV shows, the TV show, in my opinion, has now reached the point where it's a it's a TV show. It's not breaking any new ground, and it's sort of working its own its own formula to death. You know, the, the TV show. I'm watching it because I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it on a profound level of like you know. When at first the first few episodes and or the first few seasons, really, when I'd be sitting there like almost in awe that like, yes, <laughs> something like this is on TV. And now I'm like, oh, OK, so now it's gotten really popular and it's just sort of like you can tell there's a lot of thought put into like, OK, what was really big with people? OK, let's keep tweaking that and, you know. Well, it's it, getting to the point of like CSI, you know, where it has its its stereotypical beats and and character things going on. And yeah, yeah. the comic is still, I think, rolling along at its own weird pace like it always has. But I don't know. I think in that last last issue, I don't know if you if you catch up, you can you can tell me what you think. But I think he brought it to a, a, a new level of. It was one of those ones where it, the the shock of it hit me, and then I started thinking about like the repercussions of where it's going to take the story yeah. after that point, and it was really well thought out. You know, he's playing a long game with those comics, and luckily it seems to be. You know, well, I, I'm one of those people that I I don't respond well. I I do okay with hype. I don't do right. I don't do well with sustained prolonged hype. Yeah. And I and I guess I'm maybe I'm going to offend like the Doctor Who fans in the audience here but it's just I'm that's kind of the same place I'm coming from with Doctor Who. He's right? just that, had too long of a good run. Well, <laughs> it, it could be but it's just you know after a while you just get sick of hearing about something and it's and it's to the point where it's like you're militantly opposed to something that by all rights you probably would have enjoyed under other circumstances. Right. People would just shut the fuck up about it. That but was that was the band Rush in high school for me. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Well, and you, you, well, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, we go from Rush when you were in high school to I think the big thing was Limp Biscuit, And when oh. I was in high school and I just 
and I was just like, first off, they just got this fucking douchebag name. Okay, I'm not gonna listen to a band that that's fucking retarded. Okay, it's just right. it's not gonna happen. Right. <laughs> but then I actually started listening to some of their songs, and people were saying, "Oh, dude, this is gonna fucking change your life." I'm like, "It's George Michael, dude. What are you talking about?" <laughs> and it's that same kind of bullshit where you know, this something will get hyped beyond all fucking reason, and it's like you're the asshole if you if if, if you say, you know what, guys. This really isn't for me. I don't fucking buy any of this stuff anyway. I don't. I, I just think it's a crock. You guys enjoy it. Peace. You know that somehow makes you the dick. You know, it's, I fuck you to those people. You know, and whatever. Ugh. I don't mind being a dick. So yeah, never. <laughs> I'm I'm more than willing to. I guess. And you know, the thing is, if you're consistent with your with your love or hatred or something. Or if you're public about how you changed your mind, if you ever change your mind, in the long run, that's what people end up appreciating, you know. And I, and, and, and the long, you know, five years later, when people go, you know what? Now that I listen to my old Limp Biscuit CD, what was I thinking? They're gonna look at you and go, like, he knew all along. <laughs> that guy knew all along. <laughs> uh, it could be. Well, I can't. And here's the thing. Five uh, years ahead of me. The um. I'm not saying this to to target anybody or call anybody out or do anything like that. Um, and I say this because I know very well whose podcast network I'm a member of. But I will never talk about The Walking Dead, whether it's the comic or the show. I'm never going to fucking talk about it on my show. Right? That's how sick of it I am. <laughs> and I say this with, with I think, the co-host of the uh, – of what is your dead Wednesdays? Yeah. Walking dead Wednesday. That's what it was. And, um, you know, I know that you're a co-host of that. I'm really not trying to tear down something that you enjoy. I'm just sick to fuck of hearing about the walking goddamn dead. I'm sick of it. So at least with our show, there's, there's, there's a measure of that I think in all of us in the, in the show. And, and we've also got, I think that hype is actually, I'm not going to say the show is negative because it's not, but we, definitely don't mince words especially with the tv show you know we're we're mid, we're 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 reaching the midpoint of the farm you know the herschel's farm season i think season two and uh season so season just there's sucked. there's definitely been some some commentary on season two you know yeah well and that's not to say that there aren't interesting moments or something like that with the walking dead because believe me there are you know like I didn't really much uh, dig it when um, it was live and happening at the time, but looking back at it, that um, that first season finale, uh, that I think it's episode six. Basically, anything that has that psychobiologist in it, the one with just a screw loose, and this is a man yeah. who's just fucking given up. He's given up, and any scene that had him in it, I'm pretty much on board with. You know, because number one, that guy is just a phenomenal actor, phenomenal actor. Yeah. But the other thing is, like, just the fatalism of everything that he says, does, thinks, believes. I mean, well, because it, 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 you pick up on it a lot more in the second viewing of it after seeing it the first time. The first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know if I like where they're going with this, you know, this direction of it. And then when I rewatched it you know, for the walking dead Wednesday and you know where he's going. And then you see all, all the, the dialogue before you realize how well written it is. 
it's almost like their tribute to uh, Day of the Dead. Yeah. In some ways. And not, and now that's one of my favorite episodes, actually, of, of all of the whole show. And it's just, you know, little things like that. It's just, look, anyone who's listening to this, if you enjoy The Walking Dead show, you're still collecting The Walking Dead comic or one or the other. Whatever. Okay. You guys, you tell me who won. You have a show that you love or a comic that you love or both. You tell me who just won this argument. I'm just saying I'm sick and fucking tired of hearing about it. And I'm certainly not going to have a show about it. As good as those first issues, which I define to be the first 48 issues of that uh, of that run, as good as they may be, I'm just, fuck, I'm just done with it. So now as to tonight, um, Chris, I don't know if I told you about this, dude, but I got a, uh, I got this new uh, e-cig battery, right? This I saw pictures of it on the Facebooks. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, I've, I'm I'm vaping this thing right now. I am seriously fucking digging this, and like the reason that I even mention it is because I was listening back to um our big book of fuck. What was it? The Hoaxes? big book of fuck. Oh man, why don't I have that one on my shelf? <laughs> Well, uh, you're the publisher of it, aren't you? So, <laughs> um, I think it was the Big Book of Hoaxes where we had this whole – no, it was the Big Book of Losers. That's what it was. And um, I was listening back to that episode, and we had this whole uh, sort of bit about uh, e-cigs. And you know, basically, this is one of those things where I think history has kind of spoken on this. You know, In the 80s, right idea, wrong execution. You know, And now I think we've pretty much perfected this, but my God in heaven, dude. This E-Leaf um, a battery that I've got, this thing is friggin' awesome because it's, it gives you a good pull. And, you know, the blast of vapor that you get really hits the spot. I don't care, like, what your nicotine level is. This will take care of you. So I guess my point is if, you, if you're looking for a good non-shitty uh, e-cig, E-Leaf. This is, I mean, it costs a little bit of money. I'm not going to lie to you, but man, this is. That's what I was going to ask you next, but I'm think that's that's one of the next things I'm thinking of buying because I actually want to plan to quit. And the last time I quit, and it was the last time I got, you know, a, good, a decent e-cig set up. And, uh, um, but the only problem with that is the batteries would just like die so quickly. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we were the the company that we were ordering them from was unreliable, and it was just hard to. It was just I've just had too much of uh, they break down too easily, or at least the ones that they have now. But now I see people with and they're those kind of hefty ones, and 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 last time I smoked those and like said, okay, I'm gonna stop buying cigarettes and I'll just use this. I just started noticing I used it less and, you know, when I would take a break to use it, I wouldn't sit and probably smoke for as long as I would with a cigarette, you know? Yeah. You know, I would just sort of be like beep, beep and okay, I've fulfilled my craving and then just greater periods of time um, would elapse before I would even think about using it and then it totally died and so I was just like, oh, well, well, well too bad. And I was quit for like a year or two of that. So I've I'm I've been hesitant to buy one because I hate buying them and having the thing crap out, you know, in inside of a month, you know. 
No, and I get that. And honestly, I mean, you've mentioned the battery thing to me a few times in the past, and I'll be honest, I have no, I, I've been, I've got a decent depth of experience with, um, with uh, you know, e-cigs. I, except for those like little cheap, crappy ones that cost like, uh, fifteen, like the blue, the blue. Yeah, cigs. the ones that you see in the in the convenience stores. Yeah, like the first rule of uh, of uh, e-cigs: don't get them in convenience stores. And um, it's just that's the path to sure defeat. But I found this, uh, and and the beauty of it is there are no chains. This is what's wonderful about e-cigs: you can go to a place and you get individual service. All right, you don't get this bullshit one size fits all. You know, this certain level discount. You know that you can take or leave it. And it's only there to get your ass in the door. So that you'll get more, uh, you'll be more at peace about, you know, the dude behind the counter bending you over and butt fucking you on the price. It's it's just not even like that. Yeah, you're paying full price for this stuff, and and for this uh, e leaf that I've got, this is like I I think it costs like seventy bucks or something like that. But the dude that sold it to me, he's like, look, you don't want to get one of these like ultra high end like two hundred dollar bull. Look, you're gonna get just as good a like, and I because I explained to him, you know what I'm looking for. And he's like, look, you're going to get just as good a pull off of this one, which is like, you know, 60, 70 bucks as you would off of one of those other ones. And it's less work. It's less maintenance. It costs less. There's just no good reason not to choose this one. I'm like, okay, you know what? This guy gets the prize. He's not trying to steer you towards the most expensive thing. In spite of the fact that he's got a small business and he needs to keep the lights on, he wants to give you something that fits. He's and, a good salesman. Yeah, he, the 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 one that costs three hundred dollars is for the guy who's going to insist upon spending three hundred dollars because he wants to have the three hundred dollar one. So they have one there for him, you know. Yeah, yeah. and you've probably seen them like those huge, uh, just mega boxes. Yeah, and like you will get. It's not even like a pull anymore of uh, of a vapor. I mean, it's like a fucking cloud. Yeah, like, it's this huge cloud and. This thing, this thing will give you a, a little bit of a cloud. Don't get me wrong, but it's nowhere near what those other ones do. And this is just as good. It costs nowhere near as much. And this is better for me, my budget. Uh, basically, the the type of because I don't want to use the word hit because to me hit is something else. But um, but it's the kind of pull that I'm looking for. And you know, it it, it like connects. It it basically hits my throat the way that I the, that I want a good drag off my cigarette the way that I want it to hit, it hits it. And I didn't spend a fucking fortune getting it. And I'm like, you know, there are no big chains doing this. You know, it's only the small guys. And I don't know how long that's going to last, but that's the way things are right now. There's no good reason not to do it, man. So, um, you know, my, my advice is just don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money. Like, like I say, 60, 70 bucks. It's a good investment. I think people are going to think we're, uh, we're getting money from big vape. (laughs) <laughs> well yeah and, and you know that's the thing there is no big vape that's the other kind of nice thing about it that's it's the great yet. thing about two true freaks you know whatever whenever we're talking something up <laughs> we're actually into it yeah except i like i like talking up like some places that that our franchises were like 99.999 percent of all our listeners can never eat <laughs> well yeah like five guys um I don't really know if it's possible to have false advertisement about five guys. That place, it truly is boner inducing, you know, it's like the boner. In fact, they should use that as a slogan, right? The boner inducing burger, you know, um, I don't know. (sighs) It's only a matter of time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, and the thing, 
McDonald's was kind of there for a while. McDonald's. I'd hit it. Like yeah. that was their slogan for a while. You remember that? Yeah. It's like no like seriously, none of the marketing wonks knew what, what else that meant. It's like, wow. Oh, they, they, I mean, come on. It, you, you are not putting that phrase through a PR department without somebody knowing. I mean, it was obviously purposeful. It was, yeah. Yeah, McDonald's has some hot food that you'd. They, uh, look, I, every time I, I've ever seen a Big Mac, I just feel like I need to penetrate it. Yeah, you know? just peel apart the layers and go to town. Yeah, yep. I just. I, that for that segment of the market that you have to have sex with your food before you eat it, McDonald's is the place for you. At least they didn't go the big buns route, you know. They didn't have bring in Sir Mix a lot to to. Oh, I remember that was Burger King, wasn't it? <laughs> that would be great. Oh man. <laughs> well, anyway, to get into uh, like what we're actually here to talk about, I truly do not remember who went first last time, so I'm gonna go first this time. My first story, and, and, and again, this is the big book of weirdos, the first story that I wanted to talk about, this is, uh, it, it's uh, page, I believe, 25. It's Adolf Hitler. Now, he was a weirdo, all right. Yeah. Now, Chris and I talked about this a little bit before uh, we started recording, and I've decided what I'm going to say next really needs a disclaimer, right? <laughs> I am not extolling the virtues of Adolf Hitler, okay? I'm not. That having been said, though, this story sort of paints him out to be... Uh, I would say crazy. You're not too far off in saying, you know, this guy is just completely separated from reality. And very bluntly, I've just got problems with that, you know? The things that Adolf Hitler said, the things that he did, these are not the meaningless actions of a, of a psycho, all right? What he did was done with a plan. So I guess my point is to say that somebody like this is crazy is on some level to excuse them and spare them moral responsibility for their actions, and I just cannot go that far. I mean, I guess if you consider being evil also being crazy, then yes, he was crazy. But I picture him more of a Palpatine, you know, than, than, you know, a babbling... I mean, toward the end, I'm sure, after years of amphetamine abuse and the general collapse of everything around him, yeah, he might have been a bit crazy, but... um, I mean, it's... Maybe it's just the way Germans go crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It, you know but what? Maybe. He, I mean, the thing about it is, what is remembered of Hitler's reign is World War Two. Yes. Is is that's what's remembered because that's the the most notable part of his. You know, that's where he reached out and touched the rest of the world. But and, and as we'll get into later in this this episode, you know. It's before World War II. It's not like Hitler was a pariah in the world. He was a pariah to a lot of people, but there were a lot of people, including American, lots of American people who were just like, hey, this guy's, you know, he's got the trains running on time over there, and, uh, and, and, you know, things are upswinging, especially after World War I. So, you know, 
it was it was a if you could go back in time to before World War II, um, you would have you would probably the the perception of Hitler in the world was a lot different. Of, of course. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, pre-genocide. <laughs> yeah, and like here's the thing. I mean, I've tried like just in the course of um, I guess living, I ended up coming uh, coming across this quote attributed to John F. Kennedy, which spoke very highly of Hitler. And then something, something, guy goes on to say, he, Hitler, and I quote, is the stuff of which legends are made. And again, this is all done in like a very complimentary way. And it just feels like that, keep in mind, this was not like, uh, Kennedy, the 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 war hero who said it. It was not Senator Kennedy who said it. This was President Kennedy who said this, and so it just it feel it it, it comes off like there was a point in American history where it was as strange as it may seem now. It was not politically incorrect to express open admiration, and we're talking like the guys. This is a sitting fucking president who said this, right? That's Ins- that is insane, you know. So it's it it it's just really weird, is what I'm saying. But my point in all of this is to say that, you know, people do not ever deny somebody unless they truly deserve it. Do not ever deny somebody their moral culpability by calling them crazy, right? I just don't think that's a that that's a I guess socially healthy thing to do. The fact is, you know, whatever problems that, I don't know, like John Wayne Gacy may have, the guy's fucking nuts, all right? The guy's crazy, all right? And, you know, I I think he may have had, like, some sort of awareness of what he was doing, but I don't know how connected to reality he really was. Adolf Hitler was connected to reality, and he's responsible for the things that he does. And, again, the message that I get as I read this story is that, we're supposed to believe that this man is so far around the bend he doesn't even know up from down left from right right from wrong he doesn't know any of that stuff anymore and i just think that's wrong you know and like morally wrong you know the other thing oh yeah i don't think he was crazy i just think he it was just that it was just he he believed that germany was better to an extent to where anything they did was justified you know any means justified the ends and yeah (laughs) it didn't end well (laughs) and you know the other thing is that as this like from an artistic standpoint like as this story progresses it's like we see the ghost of hitler and he's going through like this flashback of his life and then of course up through the end of his life and the ghost, it's like he's rotting before our very eyes. It's like he's decomposing as we go along. And so, like, towards the end, I think, he, like, his face is basically, it's most, of, all or most of the flesh is completely gone. And it's just a skull. And it's just, it's really just fucking creepy art. And um, it's like, you know, it's funny that from an artistic standpoint, I do find this, I, I do... I do find this story to be actually very successful, but it's just, I guess, like, the moral points that it's making, specifically the lack of moral points, 
that to me is is really the I guess the the uh, bridge too far. That's I'm I'm sorry. You know, people are res in life. People are responsible for the things that they do, and it's just fucking wrong to de to deny them that. So um, that's probably about the most politically correct way I can think to put it. So uh, hopefully you you guys are. Chris, you at least get what I'm saying here, don't you? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whatever, man. Have fun at the rally. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, assholes. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so... No, yeah, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure that will not be taken as an endorsement of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, very good. Now, the next thing that... Uh, my, my next and then really final... Um... A story here. This is uh, page 63. Alistair Crowley. And it's kind of funny to think that this is, uh, at least as far as my release schedule is concerned, this is the second time in as many weeks that I've talked about Alistair Crowley. So, strange to think. A man so important that Ozzy Osbourne had to write a song about him. Yeah, let's talk about that. A lot of 70s rock bands seem to really love Alistair Crowley. Yeah. And, the, the like, I can think of three offhand. There was, obviously, Black Sabbath, and then there's Led Zeppelin. And to some degree or another, the Rolling Stones seem to get lumped in there, too. Yeah. I don't really know how. I think they got lumped in there, and then they said, ah, let's go with it. But I don't think any of them probably really had, you know, like a Jimmy Page-level <laughs> interest in Aleister Crowley, but... They probably had interest in the fact that it would draw attention to them, you know? Yeah. Well, they did their, their, their Satanic Majesty's Request album, which was, like, basically um, um, Sgt. Pepper's put through a Aleister Crowley lens, and Aleister Crowley showed up in the Sgt. Pepper's album, too. Oh, shit, yes, he did. I forgot about that. So he was all over yeah. the place. And... Also, around the 60s and through the 70s, that was when Anton LaVey had written the Satanic Bible and was hanging around with Sammy Davis Jr. and getting, you know, he was basically the equivalent of a viral video star back then. You know, he would, they would, you know, people would do features of wild and wacky Anton LaVey, the master of Satanism, and he was kind of a, but he was always, you know, citing. Crowley as his, as basically, you know, his inspiration. So, and, I mean, what an interesting story, you know? Yeah. He, he definitely led a, a kind of life that people will remember. That's, yeah. And, like, the thing, is, the thing about it is, if you think about who Aleister Crowley's friends were, I mean, we're talking, these are not nobody's people. I mean, we're talking people like L. Ron Hubbard, I think H.G. Wells, and some other things. And from all accounts, I mean, who I, who, who among us really knows for sure? But from all accounts, I mean, this guy dabbled in some very dark shit. Very scary stuff that you just don't mess with. Well, yeah, there was the story, and I don't know, it might have been in an earlier issue of this, but there was a story, and I seem to remember Rick Geary drew it, but there was a story of uh, Aleister Crowley's like right-hand man. Uh, but Aleister Crowley had worked out the spell or whatever. But L. Ron Hubbard and this other guy supposedly opened up a, a dimension that 
you know, let in all sorts of HP Lovecraftian type of uh, creatures at some point in the, in, you know, I think the Arizona desert or something. It's a classic, classic little piece of mythology. Usually, usually when L. Ron Hubbard comes up. Right. And I, I've heard that same story. And like the way, the way I heard it was that Crowley could open and shut that door for lack of a better word, he could open and close the door pretty much at will. His disciples, they could open it, but they really didn't manage to close it, or at least not all the way. And like the common denominator of the stories that I've heard is that something flew out. Right. Now, what is that something? Who the hell knows? But something flew out. And... Now, how true is that? Like I say, I wasn't there. I don't know. All it's a gr- it's a great story, so it's just going to have legs, true or not, you know. Yeah, but the and thing it's is, not beyond L. Ron Hubbard or Aleister Crowley just to tell somebody something like that, you know, to get a rise out of them and to build their legend. You know, yeah, and there's that to think about too. And the whole thing about you know these sort of secret rituals is. A, they're rituals. B, <laughs> they're secret. So, of course, no one really knows for sure what was... It's not like they had, you know, webcams sh- as right. there. And so, you know, all you really have to go on is the sort of hazy recollections of people with every possible fucking motive to lie. Now, what isn't so much, I guess, up for debate is... Some of the just crazy, weird bullshit that would go on in homes that that Crowley owned, and I'm talking about like real, like dark forces type stuff. You know, stuff that guys. Look, I don't know where a lot of you are coming from, at least as far as like the concept of an uh, of like an afterlife or a netherworld or whatever. I fucking believe that stuff exists. That's just me, and it's a. It's not a stretch to think that. You know, based on such as some of the things that I've seen in life, which I don't really care to discuss, it's not a stretch to think that stuff like that really does exist. And for that matter, it can't be conjured, perhaps on command. And so, like I say, who really knows what happened? I sure as hell don't. I wasn't there. So I'm not going to say that I've got some kind of special insight into this stuff. But when enough objective eyewitnesses by which I mean like just random neighbors and people who are not involved in that world say, hey, some really scary shit was going on over <laughs> there. going on over there, yeah. And that's why I moved because like people were talking to me in my empty house. I was home alone. The fucking house is empty, but somehow people are still talking to me. I don't know what's going on. I'm moving. And you know what? For good reason. You should. I mean, I'm sorry. I would move too. <laughs> you know, I mean... If you don't, you know, you, you just don't have a survival mechanism in you, dude. I don't know what to tell you. But uh, anyway, and so there came a point when he sort of became, I would I would almost want to call it like this sort of 1970s hipster Satanism that a lot of rock bands at the time sort of specialized in, where I think it was kind of superficial, you know, this whole commitment they have to, you know, magic <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, the, the com- well, yeah, I mean, yeah. And and their fans reflected that their commitment was as far as, like, spray painting a pentagram under the bridge and, you know, in their town. 
the lone major exception to that, of course, being sure. Jimmy fucking Page. Yeah. As far as I can tell, like just and there, all we have to go on here because I don't think Jimmy Page has ever talked about it publicly. All we have to go on is like recollections of like what groupies would say and like former collaborators because I don't know what the hell else you call those people like former and collaborators you have to take into account that there was probably a good haze of drugs <laughs> yeah and a lot of those people's perception at that time too yeah and one of the best that I can think of offhand is one of Jimmy Page's enemies right is a guy by the name of Kenneth Anger oh I know Ken- who Kenneth Anger is yeah filmmaker yeah and basically, Kenneth Anger was, it was some movie that he was working on, and Jimmy Page agreed to provide the... Uh, Scorpio Rising. Yeah, that's the one. Bet. And um, he, uh, he, Page, agreed to provide the uh, soundtrack for the film. And whatever happened, happened. I'm guessing heroin. He only delivered something like 20 or 30 minutes of usable music for a film that's supposed to be like 90 minutes long, so do the math. And so, Kenneth Anger says that he placed a curse on Jimmy Page. Now, the minute you hear that, what you're immediately tempted to think is, (laughs) Well, I guess that didn't work. Au contraire. From that point on, Led Zeppelin was never able to get it back together again. It started in 1975 when Robert Plant broke his ankle. Yeah. Then Robert Plant lost his son. And then John Bonham, the drummer of the band, fucking died. All right? They never... They, you could kind of think of 1973 as Led Zeppelin's commercial high point. They were never really able to get back... They never completed a world tour ever again after 1973. Just let that sink in for a minute. Every single tour that they launched after that point got canceled for some reason or another. That's fucked up. So, well, one big thing about curses is when you do curse somebody, you have to do it as... And Kenneth Anger, when, you know, talking about it, all his movies were made as rituals. They were, they were, you know, he he was like, I want to put ritual into film. How would I, instead of like filming a ritual, a, a movie that's more symbolic and ritualistic. And, you know, I mean, if you've ever seen any of his movies, they're interesting. But in that early experimental way that, and also really pretentious, but they get a lot more mileage because they were the first ones to do it. But... When you curse someone publicly and they know they've been cursed, that, you know, that's half the work right there with a curse. That's like one of the first chapters in the Satanic Bible is, you know, you know, let people know that you've cursed them and that they're screwed and and half the work will be them screwing themselves by anticipating it and, you know, subconsciously subverting themselves. Um, I don't know if, if, you know... Jimmy Page could could have subverted himself into having Robert Plant's son die, <laughs> or you could just chalk it up to bad luck. But yeah, they pretty much did go downhill after that. But then again, that's kind of like the rock star arc when you're insanely rich and partying it up too. So 
Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's enough room there that, that there's. I think there's plenty of ambiguity, you know. Right, right. But it makes an. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with the Kenneth Anger cursed him and everything went to shit story because it's way better. And, and, it, and it is, but I think it, you know, like they were able to overcome so much adversity, especially early on in their careers when they would go. I mean, guys, people tend to forget this, but like, it, it could be hazardous to your health to be in what at the time was considered to be a metal band in the South. All right, people right, would fucking right. shoot you. So, to be a guy like Robert Plant, who not only had long hair, but he kind of sang. Oh Jesus, something's going on right in the middle of my podcast honking and sirens and oh boy all at once yeah and let's say yeah robert plan is not exactly the most manly of he sings like a woman you know he 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 he, that's why like heart does such a good job of covering their songs uh but you know i yeah and i mean they weren't also universally loved when they came out in just the music i rolling stone magazine trashed I trashed them right through, you know, beginning the end. first five or six albums. Yeah, beginning. It wasn't the end. until like the late '80s, early '90s that all of a sudden the Rolling Stones just like Led Zeppelin, all-time classic, wonderful band of all time. You know, retrospective. I think their I think their their review of their first album was something like, "This music can only be appreciated if you're out of your head, completely on drugs." Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's the other thing. I mean, you know, which is not the way I first heard Led Zeppelin and appreciated it. So I don't know what Rolling Stone's talking about. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I could, like, if you were talking about like the third or fourth Black Sabbath album, <laughs> right? You right. got a leg to stand on there, you know. But I don't, I don't know. And uh, anyway, so the point is, you know, like things like this, I tend to believe, you know, they are very real, and for whatever reason. Aleister Crowley sort of became this, again, I kind of want to ascribe it to being he was like this sort of uh, hipster folk hero to these 70s rock bands, except for Jimmy Page. And I, guys, there's enough, there's enough evidence there to say, you know what, it wasn't just there for show. He truly was into, is he still? I don't know, but at least at one point. Does I, he still live in his house, basically, in his castle? <laughs> actually um yeah i don't think maybe i don't really know i would assume well, that's always been the legend i heard that he bought out that that's where jimmy page i don't know if he if you know i i'm pretty sure that he bought alistair crowley's estate i don't know if he lives there that's the sort of story is you know he lives in alistair crowley's castle right well and in the 70s yeah boleskine house yeah he most certainly did but like does he still that i cannot say and um I, honestly, I don't know. I, I'd probably have to be able to somehow stalk Jimmy Page in order to do that. And guys, I just don't have enough. I get on the internet. There's some people who did all the stalking, all the hard work ahead of you. Oh yeah, well that's a good point. Well, either way though, I, I guess my point is, kitties don't do drugs. So um, those are really the two main sort of main things that I wanted to uh, hash through here. Now. Uh, uh, Chris, I do believe it's your turn now. All right. Well, I picked two. I cheated sort of on my first one because I'm going to be mentioning the, the strips on either side of it. And that's Tesla, who are an awesome band. Yes, no, they are. 
not not that Tesla though. But that that Tesla, uh, that, that was a great thing about that band is they actually named themselves Tesla, just so in the in case they ever got famous, that they might spark a little interest in Tesla's career, which is a really interesting career that sort of got like. It's only now sort of being appreciated for what, you know, what it was and the the contribution that he made. And that's why I thought it was that in a rare, you know, these books, they, they break them down into chapters and in, in, in subjects. But this one, it seems like it was just a really good idea within the chapter. They, they stuck Tesla in between the chapter on uh, Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. And what what, what page number is that for uh, Tesla? Uh, Tesla's page one forty six. Ah, okay. Um, and I mean, Edison was basically Tesla's foil, and vice vice versa. Edison basically, you know, and and the way I look at it, I think Edison pretty much, you know, stole stole the limelight from Te- Tesla. Was like an inventor. He was. To the point of where he wasn't really interested in making himself rich and famous. I don't think he was opposed to it, but it wasn't like in his thought he was too busy doing doing his thing. Whereas Edison was the showman and the businessman sort of guy, and not always not necessarily as great of an you know inventor as as someone who presented stuff. And he just he. I'm just gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. The Tesla. I, I'm gonna interrupt you. Uh, for just a minute, the way I always thought of the uh, the Tesla uh, Tesla Edison thing, I would almost want to say that if you guys need to be able to put this into a better and more modern context, something that I think a lot of people are probably more familiar with, you could think of Thomas Edison as Bill Gates and Nikola Tesla as Steve Jobs. You've got yeah, the- yeah, that would yeah. I mean. I just—it's imperfect, know, I realize, but it's the best I can think of. That's offhand. probably about as close as you're gonna get with with stuff. But I mean, it always just reminds me of the story of, you know, um, uh, Edison was pushing DC current, and Tesla had invented AC current, which is was obviously the way to go. You know, I mean, DC current, you would have—it just doesn't travel very far, and you'd have to have. you know big electrical stations to keep pushing the electricity it was just inefficient and ac was was the the way to go if you were ever going to set up a power grid and uh but instead of acknowledging that he he was just like okay i'm just gonna smear ac power and you know that was the infamous i'm gonna electrocute an elephant to show people how dangerous you know alternating current is that's just douchey man i like elephants and you know yeah this is this is a douchebag trick to pull edison (laughs) and i mean tesla's tesla's the he's the kind of weirdo that i like the just the the prototypical inventor and i always wonder and i and my first thought is always like, ah, they don't make them like Tesla anymore. But it's like, I always wonder if there are a few Teslas out there. But just like 
him, they're not good self-promoters. You know, they're doing their thing. Nobody's heard of them yet. You know, we'll hear of them in 30 years or whatever when their invention finally get breaks through or gets acknowledged or, you know, that whoever took credit for it gets exposed or whatever. You know, the, the, the typical, I don't think he died penniless, but he died, you know, in obscurity. My, uh, my crazy roommate was a, a big Tesla follower, but, um, I think he sort of thought, I, I think that was what he wanted to be. He wanted to be the, like, I have all the secret knowledge and nobody's, but he wasn't inventing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, he'd make a moving GIF or Tumblr or something like that, but he wasn't making any inventions or coming up with any theories. Well, I, uh, I, I've wondered if the the new Teslas and the new, well, the new Nikola Teslas and the new Steve Jobs is, um, if they're actually working R&D at some giant fucking conglomerate, you know, is that where the action is now, you know? Yeah, well, well, they are maybe, but the thing is, that's sort of what Tesla was in the equivalent of that when he worked for Edison. He was on a higher level, but it was the same, you know, same general idea, and he didn't last long. <laughs> you know, he was just like, "Screw you, I'm out of here," and you know, whatever, I'll be penniless or whatever. And I would imagine they would be of the same mindset, so they would probably start out someplace like that and after a couple of their you know things that they came up with got absorbed or maybe they came up with something that was really cool that it got absorbed and nothing happened to it with it because of some weird bureaucratic reason or or something and you know they would probably find it you know end up working at burger king or something like that and and uh working out of their you know working in their garage tinkering around I mean, there's lots of people like that, but it, you just have to go to YouTube to find out. But, you know, I mean, obviously, when you do that, like 99.99999% of them are, are cranks. <laughs> yeah, the guy that claims to have a working time machine. Yeah, time machines. There's all, there. I mean, just look at all the people who've invented free energy machines out there on YouTube, you know. And, you know, maybe one of these days somebody's going to pop up with one. But for the most part, you know, no, but I, I, it just makes me wonder who's going to, you know, who is the next one? Are we ever going to see him again? Or is it, is it something that's not going to, you know, not going to take root in, in modern society? Hey, did you ever see that movie, The Prestige? No, I still haven't. I've been sort of saving that one because I've heard so many good things about it. Well, this isn't. I don't think it's like a huge spoiler or anything, but there comes a point in that movie where uh, basically Nikola Tesla has a small role in the story, right? And like, is this like really historically accurate as far as like his personality and his speech patterns? And I truly have no idea. I don't know. But if he was as insightful a person in real life, as he is in that movie, then, I mean, you know, this this was a guy that had more brains than he knew what to do with. He was so freaking right. far ahead of his time. I mean, you, you would almost want to say that he was a modern-day electrician living back then, 
but that's only because we're living in the modern day. I mean, it's kind of hard to say where exactly his imagination ended. What we know, or at least can suspect from a lot of his surviving diagrams and drawings and blueprints and stuff, this was a guy who had ideas on top of ideas. He didn't have, I would say he didn't have the, the time, the capital, or really even the technology to fully explore his ideas with like, a, I, I guess you could say like a free reign. You know, he didn't right. really have that. But it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what could this guy have done, you know, if time, money and technology had been no object? You know, if some if some, you know, some billionaire decided to be his beneficiary and just set him up and say, here you go. Here's your lab. Here's some people to work for you. Do it. Do whatever. And I mean, he was working on stuff. I mean, one of the great stories is when he, you know, he was working on wireless, you know, beaming energy. And that's how basically the Tesla coil came about as a sort of demonstration of, you know, energy traveling through the air. But it wasn't as much of a practical thing that could do anything. It was just a neat display. But he was building around in Long Island these huge towers to, you know, send electricity through the air that could be picked up on an antenna. And... um there's lots of stories and, and they're backed up by, you know, news reports and stuff at the time of when he would fire that thing up. Weird shit would happen for miles, you know, that there was, you know, people talk the butterflies started like moths and butterflies flying around at night started glowing. Yeah. You know, started picking up like static electricity on their wings and glowing and, you know, weird discharges of of energy and uh you know if at, at first glance of his story he seems like a kook you know mm -hmm. but then you start seeing that he actually invented this you know ac electricity you know he was he was not someone who did not know what he was talking about maybe he had he was going in directions that were a little crazy or something but i don't know <laughs> Well, like it's, the thing is, anytime somebody operates outside the boundaries, the thing is, we love to think that science is this, it's this field of study of absolute open and free inquiry. I find that most, like most fields of science and most scientists, they are at least as uh, doctrinaire and sectarian and territorial as the most zealous of religious types you know and yeah. somebody who operates outside the boundaries of accepted science okay well motherfucker that should not be a scarlet letter if it, you think it, about it it shouldn't be but at the same time i understand why they don't accept you know they're not gonna science isn't gonna accept something till you bring them a box that you push a button on and it does what it does and you can tell them why it does what it does, you know, and, and show them. And then it'll, you know, then it's it's going to be in the accepted, you know, realm of evidence or whatever. But the disdain, you know, the disdain that they hold towards, yeah, people that are, you know, coming up with weird shit. They probably missed out on a lot of stuff <laughs> that would have been really great by, you know, just dismissing people like that but 
Um, and, and another thing with, you know, going back to my the, the crazy roommate I had when, when he was less crazy and he would be talking about stuff like this, I was like, well, you know, the people who do this don't go to science. <laughs> don't don't present it to a scientist until you have something, you know, don't present them your theory or your idea. Wait till you've built something that 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 will flummox them you know that does something that it's not supposed to do and then you'll get their attention and they'll want to figure it out until then you're just going to get their scorn you know that because they're waiting that you know they're waiting for you to come in and and you know shoulder the complete burden of proof well in the in the movie um uh, the prestige uh tesla actually has a line and I find anybody who's like, if they've got a certain IQ level, this will actually make them. Like, I find the smart, basically, the smarter you are, the sadder you get. <laughs> when, when he says this line, he says, "You know, people don't mind when you amaze them. What they mind is being amazed twice. You know, and they can accept right. all of this miraculous new technology, and they and they're happy to benefit from it." Just don't do it again. Don't give them a second. Uh, don't give them basically a second um, invention or a second new process or a sec or whatever. You know, uh, his point was, you know, people they're tolerant of innovation only up to a point, and then after right. that, it's it's like their their definitions and their conceptions of what it is to be human are somehow fucking challenged by this yeah they yeah. will you have to inch it along <laughs> and when you think about it that actually if, i mean like if you think about it from like a socio uh, sociological standpoint i think the human race what we really seek is commonality and consensus and so the Teslas of the world are on some dark, id, subconscious level. In a weird kind of way, they're kind of regarded as renegades, heretics, whatever, like whatever right. you know, vocabulary you want to use. And they're not sticking with the system. What the fuck is their problem? And well, then the funny you, thing with Tesla is he's considered a renegade. Yet he was, uh, you know, you would think by now he would be considered like Thomas Edison and he does get a lot more credibility now and a lot more, you know, credit for his work. But at the same time, he's still looked at as being, you know, kind of the mad professor. It does make and you wonder, you know, um, where does the, like what you and I think of, if I just use the word mad scientist, is he the originator of that? I mean, is that where that slur comes from? I don't know if it's from... You see, I don't think it is as much because I don't think he ever got into the public consciousness enough. I think Mad Scientist is straight out of old movies and comic books. I think it was, it was a straight reaction to all the you know technological advances at the time 
Mm. Um, like, you know, like Tesla's quotes, you know, people were terrified, ter- enamored of and terrified with, I guess people are always enamored with and terrified of technology. But when you have bursts of, you know, technological innovation and stuff, as you did around World War One and Two, probably, probably driven by World War One and Two, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, you 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 always have the extremes of the you of there's always a culture of where Disney came out of, you know that that um, or Disney, you know Disney in the World Fair sense mm-hmm. came out of. You know that that sort of future comes out of it, and at the same time, you've got the mad scientists and the Godzillas and stuff like that that come out of the 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 scary side of it. Yeah, very probably. So, well, that's basically what I had for uh, Tesla. Do you have anything else? No, I think I'm good on Tesla now. My next one's another. This guy is a, is on a lot smaller scale than tesla because if this guy was legit then he was the he was the real thing of where his you know his inventions and innovations died with him you know went into went to the grave with him or nobody has been smart enough to figure out whatever clues he left behind and also another thing that i know a lot about this guy because my crazy roommate was fix fixated on this guy especially and uh this is Ed Leedskalden. He's on page one fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets a he gets kind of short shrift in here. He he gets the short he gets the just sort of short general thing things you know the talking points of Ed of Ed Leedskalen and Coral Castle is that you know he built this you know big it's it's not a castle it's a big structure. With giant structures, with you know, multi-ton, you know, um, stones laid on top of each other. Everything's built out of gigantic stones that he that he quarried himself, and um, he built it all entirely by himself with no help from anybody. The only time he ever received any kind of help at all was um, at one point he had to move the entire castle and oh. he uh, hired a trucking company and he had them pull their trucks up, you know, one night and then they came back in the morning and their trucks had all the stones on them and he had them drop them off at the new place. And then the next morning, all the stones were off the trucks and that's all. That's the only time he'd ever had any aid there's, you know, a couple stories of kids who claim to have seen weird things with him floating rocks around and stuff like that. But, you know, I've, I've I read too many stories and stuff to totally write off, you know, oh, that's just kids talking and stuff like that. But there's really very little, little input at all as to how he did it. You know, it's at, at this point, it's all just... You know, I, I mean, they know how he cut the rock out of the huge pieces of rock that that was, you know, he used methods that he'd learned in quarrying. But um, 
The only thing he said is he knew the mystery, you know, he, he knew some mysteries of ancient Egypt that that helped him do that. But otherwise, he at a certain point, he would close, you know, Coral Castle. Nobody could come come in and and visit it. And so at night, you know, he was just in there alone. And that's when he did all all his work at night and. You know, people would come in to visit the place. It was a tourist attraction. And all of a sudden there'd be, you know, a huge structure built. He had this one block of stone that uh, I believe it was the entranceway for the longest time. And I can't remember how many tons it was. It was something like 20 tons. It was a ridiculous amount of weight. And he had it balanced so well and... Um, had put a uh, rod through it and had it all balanced and set so well that you could take your pinky finger and and turn it, you know, like, you know, going in through a revolving door. And that was how you entered into Coral Castle you, by turning, you know, a, a multi-toned piece of rock that he had just, you know, finally, finally crafted. It doesn't work anymore, I guess, the... Um, uh, metal in the pole that went up through it, it degraded over the years and it sort of collapsed down onto itself. But yeah, he was doing all these insane engineering feats all by himself. And he was a little skinny guy and he was older by the time he was doing Coral Castle. And it went, you know, uh, my crazy roommate thought he knew how he was, he was doing it and was like taking field trips down there and stuff. And, was telling me he thought there was a secret compartment underneath the whole, you know, a secret lab underneath Coral Castles, and he, he knew how to get into it, and that didn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they give him a real short story. They don't even, I, I can't even believe they didn't, especially in the 90s, that they just, it was it's always attached to it, but Billy Idol wrote a song about him, uh, supposedly... Um, Lead Scalin was doing all this for the 16-year-old girl that he had met back in his home country and was supposed to marry. And I can't remember if they if they broke up or if he just never could afford to bring her over, but it was like the love of his life. And so he dedicated all of you know his work at Coral Castle to her memory. Or maybe she died tragically or something. But Billy Idol wrote a song about it, and that every time anybody ever talks about Coral Castles, they go, oh, it's, you know, Billy Idol wrote a song about it. <laughs> it's it's like Tesla. Actually, that's that's funny because my last two have had little band connections. But, yeah. uh, but man, it was hard for me to choose those two. There were so many great weirdos in this a couple of which I n never heard of. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I would have thought that most of us have like a passing awareness of like what we think are history's probably most well-known weirdos. It's actually scary to think how much we don't know. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, hear the story of Rasputin and think, wow, that's a really fucked up. I mean, just the way yeah. the guy died, that by itself yeah. is weird enough. I mean, King Tut didn't check out as as interesting as as Rasputin did, right? But the rest of the shit the guy did, 
holy shit. But there's so much more than all of that, you know? I I I was fascinated with um uh, the guy William James Sidis. And this is another thing where where that sort of back to the Tesla thing where I always wonder I always thought it would be great if you were some sort of like, you know, true super genius to just sort of work, but, you know, see how much you could work behind the scenes mm -hmm. so that you could be left alone to, you know, invent your time machine or whatever. And that's what sort of this this guy wasn't, you know, an inventor type guy, but he was like this huge, you know, you know, I think he graduated, you know, walked out of college at like 16 or something like that. He had they 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 like at nine years old he was trying to get into college and they and they told him no and he basically had to wait till he was like eleven to or something or twelve or something like that, but he just got a crappy job and went into obscurity. But after he died, they found out that he'd been doing all this writing under assumed names and writing op-ed, you know, wonderful op-ed pieces and insightful articles for, like, decades and just under different names. And I always I always thought it was fascinating. It's the kind of thing, it's like anybody who commits to something crazy like that, like Andy Kaufman-like, who will, you know, commit their life and actually just do it, you know, instead of having it be just sort of like this, oh, you know, it would be great to do this. <laughs> Some people actually did. There was a guy who the uh, his actually his name was William Robinson, and uh, changed his name to Chung Ling Soon to be a, a magician, and didn't just he was a white guy didn't just assume the character of of that though he lived his life as you know an Asian magician and became world famous. Jeez. I mean that's commitment. <laughs> Yeah, one of the uh, yeah, and that is that's fucked up. But one and I'd never heard of either either of those guys. I mean, the William William Burroughs, Wilhelm Reich, Andy Warhol. You know, those are all. You know, you just sort of expect to see them in there. Yeah, and then you get into weirder ones. Like, I'd never heard of this guy before, but Walter Freeman. This was basically the guy that invent. I can't even say perfected, but he invented the idea of, uh, and. I guess the uh, execution, so to speak, of lobotomies, right? Oh, yeah. And there was a point when – it may sound strange now, but there was a point in America's history that – the 20th century, I think, is just unmatched in terms of <laughs> just weird aspects of American history. And there was a time when it was thought that the remedy for – psychological disorders was a form of surgery, right? And it was called psychosurgery. And there came a point when that sort of fell out of fashion. But before that time... Sounds like a Kiss album. <laughs> psychosurgery? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to psychocircus, yeah. So the... Um, but there came a point when, um, you know, that, that did actually kind of come to an end. But before it did, this was kind of... This was considered to be fairly routine, acceptable way of treating various forms of mental illness. And that sounds weird in a day and age when we understand that a lot of, not all, but a lot of forms of mental illness can be dealt with either through 
psychological or through medical help of some kind. Not necessarily surgery or any kind of like medical, what's the word? Procedure? Yeah, that's the one. Any sort of like medical procedure, but more that, you know, you can, you can learn relaxation techniques or you can have other kinds of psychological help or for that matter, psychiatric help. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a Scientologist or anything, but I kind of wonder if it's really the right, the right way to deal with this sort of thing to just take a pill for everything, you know, but right, right. irrespective, I mean, we understand and I guess use different remedies for this, for this sort of thing these days. That was not necessarily mainstream science at one point in America. And that <laughs> by itself is just fucking astounding to me. But the other thing is that, you know, when you think about what could possibly fucking go wrong with somebody sticking this long piece of metal through your goddamn eyeball or your eyelid and just scraping away random parts of your brain. Well, that's the thing. I always thought that a lobotomy was going for a certain part of the brain in the frontal lobe. I always thought that the lobotomy was this precise procedure. No, they just stuck it in and scraped a little of your brain out. Yeah, and they had no idea what they, what they were doing. Yeah. And they didn't know what they were scraping. What we knew about the human brain back then compared to what we know now, there is no comparison. Right, you right. Know? And for all they know, I mean, this could that what they could have been scraping away was that was that part of your. It's unlikely, I would think, but it, it could have been some part of your frontal lobe that can that regulates your breathing, your heartbeat, any number of things. Mm -hmm. And they had no fucking idea what they were doing. And people were paying money for this. Please fuck me up this way. I want you to do it. That's insane to me, you know. But people were fucking doing it. That's anyway. So I'm not trying to like derail you or anything. But that's fucked up. Yeah, no, they had the story in there where people he was he was just lining them up. It, I think it was like a three thousand dollar procedure at first, but he got so into it that he was charging people twenty five dollars and just assembly lining them through his his, you know, practice. That's crazy. It gets better. He won the friggin Nobel Prize. Right. <laughs> In 1949, he won the Nobel Prize. And you know how this guy checked out? Like, I, I, I'm convinced that if this guy had somehow made it to live a riper, older age, this might still be accepted medical science even now. But as it happens, one of his uh, patients beat him to death with a ball-peen hammer. <laughs> that, uh, look, I, I, I got nothing. I'm, I say no. <laughs> so what else have you got? Well, that's about it. I, 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 one of the ones that I, I, I was really, I always liked the story of uh, Wilhelm Reich, and that's another one that Wilhelm Reich is one of the ones who's full of shit. You know, he was the guy who came up with the idea of orgone and cloud busters and stuff like that, and he's. Still, to this day, a good con man never dies. <laughs> they never die. You can debunk them 84,000 ways, and it just doesn't matter. If they are, if their idea that they're hawking hits the right part of the brain on certain people, 
that's it. You know, there's still people taking this guy. Wilhelm Reich died in prison at, because he was just selling, you know, basically bunk, you know, pseudoscience stuff, you know, weird, you know, here's a box that you sit in that, that pulls the vital energy of the universe and puts it into your, your body and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's from a combination, you, you have to combine the right types of organic and, you know, non-organic materials together and they attract blah, 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 blah. To this day, there's still people who are like, oh, well, the government ran him out of business. You know, they, his, his ideas were too dangerous and he got run out, run out of town, run out on a rail. He's a martyr. He died in prison and, and stuff. And <clears throat> people are still making stuff based on his ideas. There's still people going to prison because <laughs> they're selling his, you know, weird technology. It's not even his technology, but it's just their modern versions of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are setting up practices where they wave these wands over you and people are dying because they're foregoing chemotherapy, you know, on the guarantee that, oh, yeah, well, this will cure all illnesses. Don't worry, we can, we'll just tune it to cancer and you'll be all set. That is, yeah. Ooh. Almost 100 years later, you know, it's, it, it, it's, you just can't. It's almost like we can't get away from, like, there's almost like a P.T. Barnum aspect to medicine, which if you the think guy, about the it... Guy is, the guy is dead. He's debunked. You could find any kind of scientists and doctors who will tell you, you know, what a, what, what, what a line of bullshit the guy was selling. You know, he followed that arc of, you know, con man, the, the standard con man arc. And it doesn't matter. People are still going to, you know keep working it forever it's 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 sad <laughs> yeah especially another reason we can't have nice things <laughs> yeah and you know what i mean that's all... what we need to do maybe we need to write the big book of why we can't have nice things well that's that the thing i mean big book yeah i feel like if we wrote a book like that we pretty much have to drag in j david weeder with us because <laughs> I mean, you talk about a guy with his hand on the pulse, and he's just feeling it, dude. And, uh, yeah, I, I would want <laughs> But, you know, here's a – like, this is one of those – you and I have kind of talked about, like, I guess the long-term sort of future of this show because, let's face it, it doesn't really have one. No, we... as a matter of fact, the last um, – when when I went to uh, ACBC Con, I picked up a copy of the Big, Books of, Big Book of Freaks, and I was like – Ooh, I get to take the show out on an actual physical copy of the comic. Yeah, and that's not a bad way to a bad way to go. But this is one of the volumes, one of the few volumes that, like when we did the the big book of conspiracies, we didn't talk about every single thing that was in there. But I felt like you know what, we got a pretty good cross section of what that book was all about. We got the Kennedy uh -huh. assassination, and then we got ufos and then from there we touched upon just some some other uh you know some other things that uh were part of that book but weren't necessarily like the centerpiece like the franchise of the book you know i feel like we did a pretty good job there this one i would almost want to say this is actually worth 
a second edition of us yeah. coming back. And I mean, I'm not saying that we definitely need to do that, but I, this is one we of could. those. Yeah, I think we easily could. And like the big book of urban legends, I think we could probably do. And then this one, I think we, I mean, I think there's disco potential to the idea of having like a, maybe if it's just the way that we wrap up this, maybe. this series to have uh, like a jam, like a jam episode where we just pick a bunch of overlooked stories from, you know, various volumes that for whatever reason we just didn't get to in the main, the main episode and then talk well, about I mean, it we, we, we often have runners up and stuff like that, but those runners up still were a hard choice a lot of the time out of a lot of other stuff, you know? Well, here's the thing. I mean, like some of, some of my choices, there have been times when I've actually decided that with a coin toss because I didn't know how the fuck else to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like not to get into it here, but like T.E. Lawrence, it's almost like the movie Lawrence of Arabia. The movie is – that's probably the most famous part of his life, but that's hardly the most unique aspect of that uh, of that guy's life. And I, I really do feel like, you know, there's there's mojo to the idea of, I think, revisiting some of these volumes and going through some of these overlooked stories. I mean, for sure, I would want to drag um, the big book of urban legends out of mothballs and this one as well so that we could have a sort of – and however many episodes it takes to, to get to – I guess do a little bit more of a complete job of it, you know. I don't. It's something to think about for the future. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe maybe we could get some input from listeners what they would want to hear revisited. You know, that's not a bad idea because you know what? If you think about it, they're the ones who really get left out the most whenever we do this stuff because you don't even get to read their feedback in many cases. So it's maybe that they, is something. They also, I you know, I'm speaking for myself, but. The listeners always remember <laughs> what I've what I've said and done better than I do. Yes. So, that's so, so true. when I'm looking for insight into stuff, it's better to go to the listeners because, you know, they can say, "Oh no, uh, you already did the whole show on that." And, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess I sort of remember that now. Actually, in a few cases, um, I've had to say, "I'll take your word for it." So. <laughs> Now, um, before we wrap up, I didn't want to make a huge, a huge uh, thing out of this at the beginning of the show, partly because you know we were tangenting so much already. But yes, this, the week this episode is released, it, yes, this episode does in fact mark two years of Trennis Magnus Punch's reality. And I, as much as anything, uh, Chris, I just I want to thank you for that, because different people, I, I'm sure you can you can probably sympathize with this, but when you have a show that covers a bunch of different subjects, different people gravitate toward different things. Yeah. But the common denominator is that a lot of people love the big book report. And you got to understand, dude, I don't know if you and I ever like really talked about this, but I brought you in only to talk about the big book of urban legends. That was it. And then I realized, you know what? I'm going to want to talk about the big book of conspiracies at some point, too, and I'm going to need them to come back. So then I brought you back for that. And then I think it was after that when we did um, – I think it was the uh, it was the big book of hoaxes. I just said, fuck it. He's part of the show. He's got to be. I can't do this without you. And so you are as much a part of my longevity as anything. And so I just want to take this moment to say you know, thank you. I really appreciate you. You know, joining in and just being, you know, like, I, I think I was, 
I, I don't think I was a completely a stranger to you, but if you think about it, at the same time, it's not like you had any real reason to want to record podcasts with me, you know, somebody who's a stranger to you. So anyway, point is, just thanks a lot. You've really made this uh, just a hell of a good ride. Well, I thank you too, because I've enjoyed, I, I don't get, the only other chance I get to talk on these topics, which I love these topics, and apparently I guess a lot of other people like these topics too, because the only other time I get to go on these sort of tangents is with like the Freak File episodes. Which you and need those to release usually, more of, by the way. Those are few and far between, and they're usually focused on what they're about. You know, they're usually about one topic. So I like these because I find this subject matter, to me, is more fun. It might not be the best organized way to discuss the topics, but the problem with these topics, well, it's not a problem, but the thing about these topics is, is you could any single thing that we bring up in all these shows, you could devote a whole five hour episode of the show into it and, you know, throw all the details in and all that. That but, doesn't give you focus, though. Necess not necessarily anyway. Right. Yeah. But to me, it's just it, it suits the nature of of the topics to just sort of go at them in a free form way. I love I love the t the. I love tangents anyway, but I love them and this these topics better because it just adds to the whole flavor of it to to try to find the connective tissue between all of it. And you can. Sometimes you gotta stretch a little more. But the you know, when you start talking about this stuff, one thing will lead into another into another, and you can get way the hell out off base and out into you know, unknown territory real quick. So it's it's a lot and, of fun. And the best part is you get to drag the listeners along for the ride and let's not underestimate the value of that. So Yeah. And plus we've got and with with these topics we get to hit upon awkward awkward subjects. Such as Adolf we, Hitler. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We we hit one at least every every show or two, you know, or some or, or something political where we have to sort of, you know, I, I, I definitely say, wouldn't say this is a show where eggshells are walked on, but you have to sort of skirt around, you know, the, the topic and like, how can I discuss this? Yeah, really. <laughs> Without making everybody fight over it, you know, <laughs> rather than, you know, listen to it. So well, that's always been fun, too. And that's usually something that gets avoided in all podcasts. So I love having the opportunity to hit some awkward topics every now and then. And it's always happy to ha uh, I'm always happy to have you on the show. So now um, maybe, maybe we can do a show in the future just called Awkward Topics. <laughs> it would definitely uh, nobody would have any excuse for getting pissed because of the title of it would give you everything you needed to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We could call it like the big podcast of of awkward topics, right? So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, where is it that people can find you, man? I well, currently horizontally on my bed, but uh -oh, uh, watch out, ladies. They're all they're all there at the two truefreaks dot com website. All of our podcasts. They're at iTunes too. But you know what? I hate iTunes, even though I love them because that's how 90% of you are listening to us. 
I'd much prefer you went to twotruefreaks.com and signed up to the RSS feeds there, but I'm just a dreamer. But you should go there anyway, because then you get to see what comes out. It's a lot easier than digging through iTunes. You can read the descriptions of our shows, and we have, what is it, 80 million shows as of... We're adding a few more, too, are coming. J. David Weider's coming onto the network. Probably by the time this airs, he'll already have a bunch of shows out. I did not know that. Wow, that's awesome. His Daredevil podcast is... We're moving it... We're shipping him over to Two True Freaks. Fine by me. Anything that gets more attention for him is... uh, I'm fine with all that. He's a cool guy. And that's a great show, by the way. We were were talking about... uh, I actually heard the moment on the... Um, recording from uh, Eternal Con where we were talking J. David Weider's like, oh, I'd love to be on Two True Freaks. And I think Scott Gardner was like, I thought you already were. <laughs> Aren't are you already? I did, do you, you're not on Two True Freaks yet? Well, we'll fix that, you know. But he was honestly, he was just like, oh, I thought we already had, had Dave's Daredevil podcast on here. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. That's, wow. how, that's how many people were signing up. <laughs> Well, um, that's awesome. Wow, that's uh, it. Feels like you know it's starting to become. Uh, you guys are actually starting to become the Disney of podcasts, and that you keep no, acquiring no. these podcasts that are <laughs> that were independent. And honestly, this is one of those times when I think conglomerating is is actually a really good idea. So it's I'm, kind of a, it's 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 it, in this. Well, the the, the difference between corporate conglomerates is there's not big money in. It. There's not money in play even really. So it's basically it, it it's more like a survival technique than anything. Whereas especially, you know, for two true freaks, because we're we're like the a conglomeration of, of more niche stuff, you know. Even in the podcast world our stuff is like in, even in like comic book world or movie world, we get we go you know specific characters and stuff like that so it's better to to get us all in one big group and combine our power to to have any you know to get any kind of attention so well it, and it seems like it's worked out well for everybody especially since i hadn't really noticed how like you know just how big everything was getting until you guys uh, acquired dinner for geeks and then i thought wow you know the sky really is the limit now so we can't we still can't believe that they that, that they were willing to <laughs> do that <laughs> i shouldn't talk about it just no no out of the like we don't want to even think about it <laughs> yeah no don't question it just go just go with it all right well that's uh well again thanks for uh, joining me this week now as to next week I've got uh, this is the uh, Smallville retrospective the Mighty Season 3 this is part 2 of the Mighty Season 3 retrospective and I'm also going to be going through a little bit of listener feedback at that time so uh, you know keep an, I guess keep an ear out for that but as for right now uh, thank you very much for joining us and thank you Chris for joining me and uh, uh, bye everybody I will see you next week and I'll see you next seven episodes from now (laughs) (laughs) we are out okay so I think that's just about the end of that Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks 
Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing, and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play, Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy. <laughs> <laughs>